Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, September 29th, 2023. I'm very happy to be here with you all this morning. We're going to be doing something a little bit new today. We're going to have a catch-up for the weekend news that I wasn't able to cover in virtual legality. So hopefully you'll be able to put up with me for that. But I want to talk about, about seven different topics really, really quickly before we get into the meat of our headlines discussion today, which is about the end of the writer's strike. So we'll be doing that at the top during the hangout session. Before we get to that, however, how's everybody doing today? How's everybody's Friday morning? How are you in hangouts? Where are you calling in from? All the usual questions. I just want to know everybody's having a good Friday because I want to have a good Friday with y'all. We had our last occupational therapy session for 2023 yesterday. And so that's great. I've been doing therapy since January 1st of this year, but it's also a little bit off-putting to be now out there trying to do all this stuff on my own without kind of the backstop of structural support. So bear with me. We'll, we'll get through it all together. But for right now, I want to know how you're doing. So let me see if I can pull up the right buttons here to see your comments, pull them up on screen. I also want to apologize. Some people brought to my attention last week that I missed a couple of gift subscriptions that were put out there. And I apologize for that. I do try to hit the buttons as best I can right now. Um, but I have to remind myself how it goes sometimes. So if I missed those last week, I really do apologize. It's very helpful. Uh, super chats, gift memberships, subscription memberships, whatever it is, everything helps the channel. So thank you so much for that in advance. I really appreciate it. All right, let's see where everybody's calling in from. Happy Friday from Niagara Falls, Ontario. That's a nice place. I don't have enough waterfalls around me, I don't think. Neither does Iowa. But hello from Iowa to HP. Hello. Kelly C says the Lions won last night. Michigan will continue to win tomorrow. I hope so. And InSync has a new song out. Today is an incredible day. The Lions being good at football is a really weird thing. I've had a lot of stuff I've dealt with this year in terms of reorienting myself and my foundations. The Lions being good at football might be the most disorienting thing that's happened to me this year. Hi from Wales. Congratulations, Hogs, on, on the great milestone. Yeah, it was a big deal. I was actually much more emotional than I thought I would be about it yesterday, saying goodbye to my therapist, who's been with me for seven months now, because the first month was inpatient rehab at the hospital. Nebraska, GBR, volleyball, of course. I don't know what GBR means in that sentence, Eddie. Help me out. Maybe I'm just missing something obvious. I break the news. Congratulations, Hoglaw. Glad you are back. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good Friday from Finland. Yay for getting better. Yeah, we're on our way. We're, we're, we're 95%. Still work to be done, though. <clears throat> Good afternoon from London, UK. Good afternoon. Britt says, Mrs. Hogla, I assume you agree on the writer's strike, not my question about U of M football. I believe they were making jokes about U of M being Maryland instead of Michigan. Um, and I'm, I, I have Britt's starred comment here, so let me just pull that up right this second. Britt, thank you so much for the super chat. I can't do this show without all your support, so thank you to everybody that supports us. I will just say this before he gets started. I was hoping for one to two years of writer's strike. If modern TV and movies are any indication, the talent pool needs to be refreshed like a field that is allowed to lay fallow for a few years. Now, I can understand that. In fact, I think I made a few jokes about it when the writer's strike started in May of this year, which is to say I haven't loved a lot of the writing in movies and TVs for some time now. And so I, I can understand that feeling. But I, I do think <clears throat> I do think that the, the TV shows and movies that will be missing will be felt most acutely like in the next six months. And I think it's good for them to get back to work, hopefully to improve their skills sure but also just to have more <clears throat> more lottery tickets to buy right more chances to make something good is better overall for us i think because while i agree that a lot of stuff is not good right now i think if they can write some more and the market can continue to respond to bad writing in a way that is suggestive of it being a good idea to get better at writing that's going to help as well chrissy lee says congratulations on completing occupational therapy i know how huge that is 
so happy for you and Mrs. Hogue too. Yeah, Mrs. Hogue has been driving me around all year. So there's no question she's going to get some of that driving time back. Thank you so much, Chrissy Lee. Thank you for the super chat as well. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, I'm I'm proud of it. I feel good about it, but I also feel a little bit weird about it. So it's it's interesting. Super say, Hogue, just want to pop in as a proud replay crew member. Hey, thank you for the super chat. Been making my way through old playlists because I hear your I find your content so enjoyable. Current playlist, Epic versus Apple. We're gonna be talking about that a little bit this morning. See you in the replay. See you there. Thank you, Super Say. All right, now let's see if I can pull this to the right button and not like change your camera view or anything like that. Oh, good. All right. We are doing all right. Ms. Hoglaw laments losing drive time with Hogue. She does. She has had to put up with a lot of drives with me. Sometimes being very quiet, honestly. Necrotic said there have been a ton of good shows. Foundation is a good example of excellent writing. I have heard good things about Foundation. I Once it kind of separated from the books that I recognized, I stopped watching, I have to admit. So I'll get back into that and try it again sometime soon. But yes, there are examples of good writing. There's no question. I don't want to be cynics here. There are good things being written. We're looking forward to Stranger Things Season 5 as a for instance, but there's also a, a lot of junk. A lot of the Disney Plus shows aren't terribly well written, I have found. All right, let's see here. Britt says they need to go back to writing school and need to stop trying to tell me about their life. I find there are too many self-inserts in modern entertainment. I, I tend to agree. I think that Writers right now have a little bit of trouble writing weaknesses into their characters. They don't like suggesting that people can have weaknesses or overcome them, which tends to make the stories less dynamic, less interesting, less engaging, because everybody that's super perfect to start out with and just needs to discover their own perfection is not that compelling of a story, which seems to be the way things go more often than not right now. Tommy says, my son is going to school for his master's in music composition, so I hope they get back to work so he can work. Yeah, I mean, one thing that happens with both of these strikes, and we'll talk about this, there are two strikes going right now, is that everything around the production of visual media in the United States has been affected by these strikes. So it is a good thing for others to get back to work as well. Certainly something that we shouldn't forget. Eat Fresh Guy says, I've been pleasantly surprised by Ahsoka, actually. I had low expectations, but episodes four through six were some of the best Star Wars I've seen in years. I don't mind Ahsoka. I've said this in a couple of places, but I don't find it very compelling. I think the music is nice. I think the visuals are often nice, but I don't think that the story that they are telling right now is too terribly engaging or interesting. So I'm glad you're enjoying Ahsoka. I never want to take anything away from somebody that's liking something. It's just not working for me so well outside of the, the good visuals and good music. Aaron says, good writing is to be found in The Expanse. Yep, I love The Expanse. That series of books in the TV series are beyond fantastic and created through role play, indeed. Um, I love The Expanse. I'm not a big fan of season six. I think they cut it a little short. Uh, but I, if you're interested in good, kind of harder science fiction, I can't recommend The Expanse more. And Mrs. Hoaglaw agrees. All right. Now, I did say I wanted to catch up on a few things here this morning because we've had just a ridiculous week of stories in video games and technology and law that I want to that I want to talk to you about really quickly so we can get my thoughts out there a little bit uh, without doing a full virtual legality episode. So let's see if I can hit these buttons correctly now. So first and foremost, since people were mentioning they were going through the Epic versus Apple playlist, so Epic wound up losing the case at the original trial court level, then wound up mostly losing the case at the appeals court level. And people asked me if they would take it up to the Supreme Court. And I said, unlikely because the Supreme Court doesn't hear many cases and it's a super expensive process to pay for Supreme Court counsel and to draft and file a brief. Now, Epic wound up filing a Supreme Court brief this week that's 400 plus pages long that I was able to take a look at and give quotes on. And you'll see those quotes here at the bottom of this episode from VentureBeat, bottom of this article, not episode, in which Richard Hogue, a lawyer at Hogue Law, I am indeed, says, unlike other appeals, no party has a right to be heard by the Supreme Court. So just statistically, this is an unlikely avenue for Epic to come out the winner. That said, the approach they've taken is a smart one. 
asking for clarification of antitrust jurisprudence where they believe they've identified a conflict in existing precedent. Right, so if you don't know, the Supreme Court basically only looks at what we might consider really important questions. And that can be really important constitutional questions that only they can cover, or very often a conflict in the way that lower courts below them have decided important questions. And so Epic, which is unlikely to get heard by the Supreme Court, wound up asking for a question based around the rule of reason and how the rule of reason should be interpreted, how antitrust laws should be read in the various circuits where they think they've identified a conflict. I'm not as sure as them, but they framed their question in a way that is more likely to get heard by the Supreme Court than I would have thought just looking at their case originally. Now, that doesn't mean it's likely to be heard by the Supreme Court. In fact, it's unlikely, but that is in fact happening. They've filed with the Supreme Court and have asked the Supreme Court to hear their case. Now, that's interesting because, as I said, they paid for expensive Supreme Court counsel to draft a 400-plus page brief on a very low chance of success. And I bring that up. Why? Because the next day after this was filed, Epic also announced that they were laying off almost 900 workers and are divesting companies that they've just recently purchased in a way that really rubbed a lot of people in the video game industry the wrong way. And I have to say, I don't think that violating your contracts with Apple and Google and then making a big giant crusade out of free Fortnite and bring it all the way up to the Supreme Court and paying for lawyers the whole time is a great look when you wind up laying off all these people. I've also said in the past that these companies are not jobs programs, and it might be that the people that are laid off were not value creators within the Epic ecosystem, but Epic is a super rich video game company that is super successful, so it's always hard to see these kinds of things happen in the industry. Continuing with our legion of stories in video games and technology this week, the FTC revived its, its action against Microsoft's merger with Activision Blizzard King. So the other longest playlist on this channel, Microsoft times Activision Blizzard King, might have another episode or two in it. Now, what does this all mean? It doesn't mean exactly what you might think. It doesn't mean they're going back to federal court. If you remember when the Federal Trade Commission originally tried to stop the merger between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, they brought an uh, administrative action in their own court. So the Federal Trade Commission is allowed to basically look at things with their own judge, their own administrative law judge, and then if they disagree with that law judge, they can still claim that there's a violation of the law, and then Microsoft gets the chance to appeal it if they want to, to the federal courts. Now, interestingly, what we saw last year was that because they believed Microsoft might close over them or close without their permission, they wound up trying to get a preliminary injunction in federal court, and that preliminary injunction was denied. And that's a rarity historically for the Federal Trade Commission, generally speaking, they get a lot of leniency and the courts are likely to give injunctions that the government agencies ask for. The Federal Trade Commission being denied that is unusual and even more unusual is coming up after that denial and saying, well, we still think that there's something here and so we're gonna bring this administrative action back. It's so unusual in fact that there's a set of rules in the Federal Trade Commission, in the, the rules at the government level to talk about what happens when you get denied a preliminary injunction. Right? So they have a policy statement that they actually issued in the very near days of 1995. That was just yesterday, right, folks? They talk about this. So they say, elsewhere in the issue, the Federal Trade Commission has published statements explaining how after a court has denied preliminary injunctive relief to the commission, the commission decides whether administrative litigation should be commenced. And that's a policy statement. It's not in this particular document because we're looking at the actual rule. And the commission will receive comment for 30 days on that policy statement. Trust me when I say the 1995 policy statement survived the comment period and is in effect right now. Um, elsewhere in this issue, the commission has published that policy statement. They would like to repeat themselves in these regulations. And then they say, respondents may move to have the administrative case withdrawn, which is what Microsoft did after the FTC lost its preliminary injunction. And then should we bring it back? The first alternative open to respondents is a motion to withdraw. Let me see if I can find the place where I want, actually want to talk to you all about this. These rules are difficult to highlight, so I apologize for that. So this is actually the motion rules. Um, and what I wanted to grab for you doesn't appear to be in the document that I actually pulled up here. There's actually like four different versions of this, so I apologize for that. But it's worth noting that basically what they say is it has to be taken case by case and they have to look at like five different areas of whether they think it's in the public interest to bring it, that essentially the court was wrong. 
and they have a whole section here that I can't find right now, unfortunately, that talks about, look, when we have a preliminary injunction hearing, it might look like once the federal court says there's nothing here that we should just stop. But that preliminary injunction hearing is not a full adjudication of the merits. They, the court didn't look at everything. The court just looked at this very small slice of whether or not it should issue a preliminary injunction hearing. So uh, uh, issue a preliminary injunction. So the FTC can decide that it's in the public interest to continue with an adjudication, even though a federal court has otherwise kicked out their injunction request, which is a long way of saying the FTC is supposed to have really thought about this before doing it. But also for those interested in the merger, it's unlikely that this will stop the merger because this won't happen until three months from now. And further, that the FTC does have the right to continue with its action and potentially get a federal court to unwind the transaction, but that's enormously unlikely. So hopefully, hopefully that is helpful to folks that have asked me questions on this. I didn't want to do a full virtual legality because that's basically all I have to say on it. Although I probably would have pulled up the document a little bit better and not pulled one of the rules that doesn't apply here. Now we have one more story because, hey, we had a lot of stories in video games. The head of PlayStation is also stepping down, as leaked by Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg, which is an interesting story in and of itself, right? Because that dovetails with the Microsoft Activision story. We saw PlayStation get wildly aggressive on this and ultimately lose out on both relationships with a lot of publishers, I think, and ultimately in court. Now, if the FTC continues and PlayStation gets to block this deal, maybe they're better off. That's a big question mark. But either way, Jim Ryan is unlikely to see it through to the end because he's stepping down next spring. And, and so I think it's worthwhile to note these kinds of things. CEOs at these companies, I try to tell people, are not your friends. They're businessmen, first and foremost. I think people saw that with the Phil Spencer emails at Microsoft. You see it with Jim Ryan. But people that like brands, people that like companies do get attached to certain CEOs. And so Jim Ryan has been with PlayStation for 30 years. He wasn't my favorite. I'm just going to be honest, folks. I think that they've made a lot of strong positions to give themselves the market share that they have, but they've made a lot of stupid mistakes on the way that they engineer and try to sell things like their VR helmet and other things in their own marketplace, like PlayStation Plus, that just didn't make a lot of sense and really seem to be driven by kind of business and what I tend to call bean counting, the financial side of things more than the creative and more than what I like to see out of PlayStation, out of Xbox, out of Nintendo. So I am hopeful things will improve, but I always tell people things can always get worse. You could get somebody that you like even less than the last guy. So we'll see what happens there. And those are the basic comments that I wanted to put out there into the world on these various stories this week. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, so we might do a roundup if, if I don't get to virtual legalities at the top of the Hangouts and Headlines. Um, if, if that works for you, let me know in the comments, let me know in the chat, but thank you so much everybody for sticking with me through that. Eat fresh guy. I think this is right. I think Jim is an excellent businessman. I don't think anybody could argue that point. Not a great public figure. I think he, he made a lot of good choices to get PlayStation to where it is today. And that certainly needs to be applauded for those that like PlayStation and those that like video gaming in general. He's brought a lot of attention to the space. He's brought a lot of money and resources and a lot of popularity to the space. And I think that's worth noting while also saying, hey, I don't love everything that he's done. Certainly recently, I don't love that they got aggressive in the Microsoft deal when I didn't think that was warranted. But hey, I think it's also worth noting the positives. Better the devil you know, asks sibling creature. Yeah, I, I, we have sayings like that for a reason, right? We, we know what we know. We don't have to like it, but sometimes it can get worse. Uh, it could also get better. I like to be an optimist in this space, and I'm a big fan of variety. I like the earlier PlayStation generations where you got space shooters, where you got real-time tactics games, where you got strategy games, as well as over-the-shoulder third-person action adventures with light RPG elements. So I think PlayStation has kind of gotten itself into a bit of a rut of making versions of the same game over and over again, and I would love to see them have more of that variety brought back. That was another tweet that I put out early last week before this news came out. And people got really mad at that, saying there's plenty of variety in, in PlayStation. And I don't think that there is, certainly not like there used to be. And I feel like the kids don't know what they're missing, honestly, that the PlayStation used to have a lot more variety. KC Lee Ann asks the chat a question that I brought up here to answer myself. Is it worth getting a PlayStation? I've always been a Nintendo girl, but I've never ventured out in PlayStation after high school. I think PlayStation is a great ecosystem for playing games. I don't think the PlayStation 5 right now, the current generation, has been all that impressive. 
So if you want to play PlayStation 5 games, you can get most of them on PC right now. You can check those out if you've got a gaming PC. Otherwise, I've had more fun with the Switch than the PlayStation, just to be honest. All right, let's see what else. John Riccatello for head of PlayStation. Yeah, booted from Unity and then running PlayStation. That would be a heck of a move. Oh, my goodness. No, let's let's not suggest that. I do have a lot of friends in my timeline nominating themselves for CEO. Um, I do think that PlayStation probably needs some business acumen behind it, especially with their move towards live services. I'd rather see that done with somebody that won't scuttle the ship. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Shell, I like the idea of weekly topic roundups, especially if the topic would not require a deep dive or is an update on developing cases, issues that were previously covered. Yeah, I mean, I think you can see that most of the stories this week were uh, touching on things that we'd already talked about. So I was able to do it a little bit more quickly. I will keep that in mind. I, um, I don't like treating things too fast, but I also get into this place where I got like 10 minutes of content and not a full virtual legality. And I don't know exactly how to handle that without getting sucked into making a longer video than I really want to. So I can get better at that as well. Always be improving. Rick tell will charge us for each time you put your game disc into the console. He'll probably charge you for just thinking about putting the game disc into the console. Were you in the shower and thought about playing your PlayStation? We'll find out. Sorry for the delay, says Tech to help us, Andy. But thank you very much, Vintage Willow, for the gift membership. Yes, I think Vintage Willow did give gift memberships. Thank you, Vintage Willow. Oh, no, I see you give them again today. For some reason, these aren't popping up on my main list. So let me make sure you get the credit you deserve. I don't, I don't think StreamYard will let me pull them up. So I apologize for that. But thank you to Vintage Willow. And thank you to Brentwood Chic who are very often very generous, giving lots of memberships to lots of people on this channel. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys. All right. So I was able to click on those over there. I didn't break anything yet. We'll keep, we'll, we'll keep trying to not break things, folks. That's my first rule of Hangouts and Headlines is try not to break anything. Britt says, virtual legality, lightning round, quick hits, or omnibus. Yeah, we could do like catch up. We could do a catch-up video where we just roll through everything. I just don't think it works that well with a YouTube kind of VOD format because people want their thing and then don't care about everything else. But I don't know. We'll see. I have to think about it. And I, I haven't been able to like plan out future videos or shows as much as I'd wanted to. So now with therapy done, it might be something I can look at a little bit more fulsomely. Tried to stop it and say fully there, but I just can't help it at this point. All right, so we've hung out a little. We've we've gone through the lightning round, whatever you want to call that, of topics that have come out this week. Let's uh, let's dive into the writer strike. I'm sure nobody has any opinions on labor unions, power, writers, movies, television, or otherwise. Right? This should be relatively non-controversial for everyone involved. Now, I will tell you this. Behind the scenes, I've had a devil of a time with these folks changing their headlines on me. Like every five minutes, they can't decide uh, what what they want to call these articles. Uh, and so a lot of these headlines have changed really, really quickly. So we'll see if my commentary continues to make sense after we get through some of these. So here's CNN Business. Writers Guild and Studios reached tentative deal. This uh, This was called... The writer's strike is over as recently as like 20 minutes ago. So in this article, the major film and television studios and striking writers reached a tentative agreement on Sunday. The reason I highlighted it that way is because the headline was wrong. They appear to have corrected it before I was even able to comment on it. So good for you, I guess. What we have won in this contract, says the Writers Guild of America, most particularly everything we have gained since May 2nd, is due to the willingness of this membership to exercise its power, to demonstrate its solidarity, to walk side by side, and to endure the pain and uncertainty of the past 146 days. It is the leverage generated by your strike in concert with the extraordinary support of our union siblings that finally brought the companies back to the table to make a deal. The terms of the agreement were not immediately known. This article is from, I believe it was Monday. Yeah, it's, it's Monday of this past week. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that they said the writer's strike was over. The AP picked up on that notion and said, 
screenwriters wait to learn terms of deal with Hollywood studios to end historic strike, much like that CNN article we just read. The union reached an agreement with studio executives is probably not fully accurate. So the way this works in reality is, is a union, as I think most of you know, is a combination of people within a given profession or given work site or various ways that you can combine people to assert their power over contract making as a group unit, what we call collectively bargain. And so the union leadership in a union as big as the Writers Guild of America gets to go and negotiate this contract and then they get to approve it. But that isn't the union reaching an agreement. That's the union leadership reaching an agreement. And ultimately what has to happen after that is that the union membership, the actual power in the union has to vote to approve that deal, has to ratify what the union leadership decided upon. And that hasn't happened yet, right? So a number of these headlines that say the, the strike is over are a little bit premature. Um, the, the strike has been uh, allowed to end by the leadership pending the ratification of the deal by the union. And while I think that ratification is likely, it isn't a guarantee. And so if that ratification were to fail, the union leader, the union membership decides not to approve what the union leaders agreed to in this kind of closed door meeting, then the strike would be back on. So a lot of what I want to talk about here is just confusion in terms of what news is being presented to people in the headlines, which is what we see so often in social media and talked about in around the water cooler, whatever the modern water cooler is at this point, because these articles actually go to more detail and say, hey, look, the governing boards of the two branches uh, voted on the contract Tuesday with their approval. Writers will then vote on the deal and the strike can officially end. But again, we have these headlines that say thing like the Hollywood writer strike is over. Now it isn't over. They've approved that the strike can stop as of Wednesday. So writers can get back to work, which is a, a kind of way that the strike is over. So I'm not, I'm not going to say that this is entirely wrong, but it also isn't isn't the type of thing that we can just say is going to end and we know that it's going to end, right? Because the membership could still say no. I think everybody's assuming that the membership will say yes. I think that's probably a safe assumption. That's why you get articles like this. But this oversimplification, I think, ultimately hurts our understanding of what's going on. And what's going on is that it's not over until the membership actually approves the deal. Now, the AP just isn't loading very fast. They, they copy that CNN headline, the Hollywood writer strike is over after guild leaders approve contract with studios. Uh, and again, we're just kind of talking about the fact that after the vote, they declared the strike would be over and writers would be free to start on scripts at 12.01 a.m. Wednesday is what that headline is basing itself on. But then you go and you read further, the writers still have to vote to ratify the contract themselves in early October. But lifting the strike will allow them to work during that process, the guild told members in an email. Right. So the, the leadership says we're striking and then they say, OK, we can stop striking. You can go work and it's not going to be crossing any strike lines. It's going to be crossing any packets. Nobody's going to get mad at you. But we don't have a contract with the studios until you all agree on it. And further, what gets lost in all of this, right, because the, the question that people ask me, the question that people are really interested in is when do movies and TV shows start getting made again? Is that the answer is not anytime soon. Right. Because if we look at what's happening here, as I mentioned, there are two strikes happening simultaneously. There's the Writers Guild of America, and then there's the Screen Actors Guild. And so as time mentions here, screenwriters accept deal to return to work, which isn't fully accurate. The screenwriters leadership did, but actors remain on strike. Is worth noting that everything that you're probably interested in getting started back up is not gonna get started back up anytime soon. Leaders of Hollywood's Writers Union declared their nearly five month strike over. The governing boards approved. We, we looked at that before. The writers still have to vote to ratify. And the Hollywood actors remain on strike with no talks yet on the horizon. Uh, new spirit of optimism for the actors, knowing that at least one of us has gotten a good deal, gives us a lot of hope that we will also get a good deal. Now, that's worth noting, I think, primarily because to the extent the actors think that the deal was good, that suggests the writers will think their deal is good as well and probably approve it. But again, we don't know that in point of fact right now. So I just want to highlight that because you can get a little bit lost in the weeds on the details here. Striking actors also voted to expand their walkout to include the lucrative video game market, a step that could put new pressure on Hollywood studios to make a deal with the performers who provide voices and stunts for games. 
I'm not sure exactly how that logic works out. In general, the Screen Actors Guild voting to approve strikes on video game companies shouldn't otherwise affect the Hollywood studios so much, maybe WB at the end of the day. But outside of that, you're mostly talking about striking against Electronic Arts and Ubisoft and Microsoft and Sony and those kinds of folks. The Screen Actors Guild of America Federation of Radio and Television Artists announced the move late Monday saying that 98% of its members voted to go on strike. Now, that's not accurate either, right? And I'm sorry for doing this, but this is complicated stuff, and I think detail is important here. So what they voted to do was authorize their leadership to approve a strike. And in an article that we're talking about leadership ending a strike and approving a strike in the Writers Guild, I think it's important to understand where we're at in the process with the video game. So the Screen Actors Guild is currently striking against the movie studios. The video game voice artists in the Screen Actors Guild approved authorizing the board to have a strike. That doesn't mean that they are going to have a strike. And in fact, they aren't right now. As we see in the subheadline to PC Gamer here, it says they're not actually on strike yet, but it could happen if negotiations for a new contract fall through. It's true. They vote to approve a strike, not to actually strike. The vote does not mean that a strike will be called, but the union hopes it will provide added leverage in its negotiations for a new interactive media agreement. Indeed, that's fine. They want leverage over the people that they're actually negotiating a contract with. But it doesn't mean they're going on strike, which a lot of people ask me in my DMs and otherwise. Now, I did want to talk to you about what the Writers Guild of America actually agreed to because I think it's interesting. Summary of the 2023 WGA MBA. The following is a summary of the deal terms for the 2023 MBA. It is a simplified version of the Memorandum of Agreement, which contains the full text of the new provisions. What I find interesting about this is that the a Memorandum of Agreement will already be a simplified version of a long-term contract. So this is a summary of a summary of the contract. Term will go from September 25th, 2023 through May 1st, 2026, lining up with their May 1st renewal dates for prior MBAs. And if we don't know what an MBA is, we can look. Writers Guild of America explains it to us. It's the minimum basic agreement. It's not a uh, master's of business administration. So the minimum basic agreement kind of sets the, the floor under which various people can enter into contracts with the studio system. And so by setting that floor, it makes sure that it protects the writers from overly extortative contracts. And so what they got as part of this deal were minimums increases. So we are obviously in an inflationary environment and the contracts that they enter into only have set numbers in them. So they agreed to specific increases for that to try to cover inflation and other things that are happening in the world and to get more money. Obviously, if the studios are successful, the writers want to have more of a piece of that pie. That makes sense. And they get a 5% increase on ratification and then 4% and then 3.5% for the third year. So it continues to increase pretty well. Now, that probably wasn't the main item of fighting. They do have an increase in the health contribution of about half a percent of the overall earnings uh, of their contract partners. But the, the big ones here, the ones that were talked about in the news very often, is AI. And they've established regulations for the use of artificial intelligence on covered projects in the following ways. Now, this is an interesting set of rules. Um, AI can't write or rewrite literary material, which we presume is a defined term in the actual contract. Probably means things that we would expect to be in literary material, scripts, whatnot. And AI-generated material will not be considered source material under the MBA, meaning that AI-generated material can't be used to undermine a writer's credit or separated rights. So. One of the things that the Writers Guild and everybody that's involved in the creation of movies and television shows negotiates in their contracts is what are credits, right? Who's writer? What's a co-writer? What's an executive producer? That kind of thing. And this says, okay, well, even if you had AI-generated material that constituted more than half of a script or something along those lines, that wouldn't cost our writer their credit because you did that. And also this next bullet says that would be a violation anyway. A writer can choose to use AI when performing writing services if the company consents and provided the writer follows applicable company policies but the company can't require the writer to use AI software when performing writing services. Now that's interesting to me because artificial intelligence in general is this discussion that people have been having about kind of a moral level rather than a legal one, right? We don't know exactly how AI generated materials will be treated under the law because frankly, we didn't have any notion of generative AI when the copyright law was created. So whether or not generative AI is a derivative work of the things that it's studied or not is kind of an open legal question and reasonable minds can differ on where that will wind up. But to the extent that you agree not to use it, you basically come down on the moral side of 
okay, we're probably stealing from people in a way that isn't very comfortable and so we won't use it, which is what the studios agreed to here. But the writers had to negotiate for kind of both. They negotiated for, yes, you can't make us use it because it's immoral, but we can use it if we want to and if it comports with your rules, but we can use it to, to write our scripts if we want to, which, which is a tool, right? It's, it's something that's going to be used in a lot of industries in the future, but it kind of cuts both directions in a way that I'm not altogether comfortable with in terms of either moral or legal rightness on that particular bullet. Now that's what a negotiated position often looks like, but it is interesting to note. Next bullet, the company must disclose to the writer if any materials given to the writer have been generated by AI or incorporate AI generated material. Okay. The WGA reserves the right to assert that exploitation of writer's material to train AI is prohibited by MBA or other law. Now, I don't know how this provision is going to be written into the contract, but generally speaking, you don't enter into a contract that says, oh, we can argue that this is violative of the contract in general without settling that in front of you right now. So they're saying that we can agree to all of this, but we can also sue you later on if that's where it comes out. Uh, and that's that's an interesting position. You see a lot of disconnect here between the studios and the writers that they couldn't really decide on a lot of things with respect to AI. So they reserve the right to sue over this later if if there's some kind of precedent that suggests that we would win. Uh, improved terms for screenwriter employment, accelerated payment structure, streaming features. When a feature-length project is made for streaming with a budget of $30 million or more, the minimum initial compensation for a story and telepay, teleplay is $100,000, which is an 18% increase. Now, I have to say, for the size of money we're talking about in terms of budgets and money that these services make, these numbers seem pretty low to me from a writing standpoint. Writing is very important to storytelling, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think that the writers are getting overpaid in this contract. I think that this is still surprising how little they get for these kinds of things and how much more other folks that are involved in the creation process get. So I think that the strike seems to have been necessary based on the rates that we're seeing here. But I also agree with everyone else in chat that says, well, there's a lot of bad writing out there. There is, there is. Combined with the foreign residual improvements below, this results in a three-year residual of $216,000 for projects on the largest services, a 49% increase from $144,993 under the 2020 MBA. You got improved residuals here, viewership-based streaming bonus based on high-budget videos on demand that are viewed by 20% or more of the service's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of release. So things that hit immediately and are super successful will get a bigger residual. So, and then they they give you some math based on how these numbers will work. 9,000 for a half hour episode, 16,000 for a one hour episode based on the current levels of these things, or $40,000 for a streaming feature over $30 million in budget. And this, this is a lot of money. I'm not going to tell you it's not a lot of money either, but it's very difficult to say exactly how many of these will hit because we don't have any data on the streaming services. And we're not likely to get a lot of data because that was another big fight that people were having, right? Before the streaming services got really popular. We got more data on how successful TV shows were, how successful movies were through box office, through Nielsen ratings, those kinds of things. And you can argue the, that they weren't very good at capturing those, but we got some numbers. Here, we don't get anything and we're not likely to get anything either. The companies agree to provide the guild subject to a confidentiality agreement. The total number of hours streamed, both domestically and internationally, of self-produced high budget streaming programs. For example, Netflix originals. The guild may share information with the membership in aggregated form. And I'm sure that what this provision actually says in the contract is aggregated and anonymized, which is the way that we keep specific information kind of confidential uh, in the tech world, in the software world, in the application world. And so this, the companies here basically say, we'll give you aggregate information. We'll give you enough to know whether you're owed residuals, right? The, the, the fight here wasn't so much we don't want to pay you residuals as much as we don't want you to know exactly how well everything is doing on our service because that's proprietary and we don't like having that out there in the world. And this is the negotiated position where the companies agreed to, we'll give you some information. You'll keep it under confidentiality. We'll probably get very mad if it gets leaked out and you can only share it with your membership 
in an aggregated anonymized form. You can't put it out there in a way that people could calculate how many hours are viewing uh, Stranger Things versus House of Cards or whatever else you're watching on Netflix. Next point that they wanted to bring up is uh, high budget programs for ad supporting streaming services, ones with commercials get the same initial compensation terms as the equivalent programs made for subscription streaming services, which is interesting because that business model is completely different. You've got generalized pay increases and development room premiums. So one of the fights they were also having was on staffing, development rooms and regular writer rooms for television and high budget video on demand series, your Netflix originals, will now have requirements regarding the minimum number of writers who must be hired and the duration of their employment. These new provisions go into effect for seasons where the first episode is written after December 1st, 2023, assuming it's ratified. So this is super interesting. This is a mandated number of writers uh, on a 10 week minimum basis. So development rooms of writers are guaranteed 20 weeks of work are treated as post green light rooms for those rooms of first season shows. The minimum staff required will be three writer producers, including the showrunner. So they're a guild, they're a union, they're using their, their, market power to go and ask for more uh, guaranteed jobs. But you'll note a couple of things in the math here, right? So for six or fewer episodes, you have a minimum of three writers and minimum of three writer producers. When you go to seven and 12, you go to five and three. When you go to 13 plus, you go to six and three. I would argue that from an economic standpoint, this means that you are very unlikely to see a lot of seven to 12 episode shows. And you're much more likely to see six episodes or 13 plus episodes when they're greenlit by by streaming services. I would also argue that because they're guaranteed 10 weeks of consecutive employment for at least three writers in an approved kind of pilot process here, you're gonna see fewer projects actually start that process. You might see, and this could be a good thing, you might see more series continue on from the before December 1st, 2023 period, uh, which might make you happy if you think Netflix cancels everything that's remotely, even mildly popular, if it's not super popular, which I tend to think. Um, and so whenever you're looking at contract terms like this, I would always offer that people should try to look at the second order functions, the incentives that are aligned here. This is overall good if you're on the Writers Guild side that, okay, we've got these mandates here, but these mandates mean that uh, a company is going to be less likely to approve a, a pre-green light room period. Right? If they have to have three writers on staff at 10 weeks of employment at these higher rates that aren't awesome, they aren't, you know, go buy an island money for the writers, but they are significant in budget if you've already got a bunch of series that you're working on. And if you're Netflix or Amazon or whomever, then you're going to see fewer of these things approved at the outset. And you're also going to see probably more six episode or less shows and fewer of anything more. But if you do get more than six, you're probably going to get 13 plus because it doesn't make a lot of sense to wind up in this middle area with where you have five people instead of six. And I think that's mostly what I wanted to talk about here. The rest of this is, is probably a little bit more pertinent if you're in the Writers Guild, which if you are in the Writers Guild, I hope that you know this, that this is not legal advice and you should go and consult with your own counsel and things like that. But otherwise I wanted to talk about things in more generalities and just kind of go over these various things here. I also wanted to note that as the PC Gamer article suggested, the SAG folks for video games have not decided to strike yet. They say the current agreement will remain in effect while the parties make final efforts to reach a deal. So we'll still see exactly how far the SAG strike goes with the studios and whether or not it extends to video games probably in the next week or so, I would say. And then we just got a random Twitter page that I left open, so sorry about that. And the Federal Register. So. We're out of buttons, which means we're good. All right. Kale Burke says, what is the lowest tier for go buy an island money? It, you know, I, I jokingly use that phrase with my clients because I, I'm often working on exits, right? So I, I talk to people about business opportunities and entrepreneurship and I say, okay, we'll get, you, we'll get your company organized. We'll get it funded. We'll get it, we'll get it set up with contracts. And then ideally we'll get you exited we'll get you sold, whatever it is that you're trying to do to accomplish with your company, we get you to the end of that. And oftentimes I'll refer to it as go buy an island and drink Mai Tai's money. For whatever reason, that's that's my version of, okay, we've got enough, we've got enough money to go and do our, whatever we want to do with it. And the writers did not 
get that. You wouldn't expect them to because a lot of the streaming services are already having their own budget issues. But, um, but, uh, but yeah. And then what is go buy an island? You know, purchase an island. Purchase an island in some tropical climb and go and relax for the rest of your life. You know, buy an island. I wonder how the mandatory writer's room will affect shows like Yellowstone. Uh, it won't primarily because Yellowstone already exists. So this is essentially future post-contract shows. But in the future, if you imagine Yellowstone 2, uh, I think you'd have Taylor Sheridan have to make sure that he's hired two other writer-producers. Um, and from there, I don't know because I don't know exactly how his room sets up or how he writes his show. But yeah, you, you've got interesting situations when you've got kind of auteur-led dramas. Hogue just revealed his dream life, buy an island and get Mai Tais. Uh, as long as I've got Wi-Fi and good electricity, perhaps. I don't know. There's carve-outs for shows like Yellowstone. Yeah, I was reading very quickly. There could be for a specific showrunner-led drama. Depending on the island, too. Yeah, you could wind up on Lost Island. Wind up on all sorts of different islands. My husband retires in 16 days, but we won't be buying an island. But he retires at 60. Yeah, I, I use it as a joke reference. No, I, I don't think any of my clients have bought an island. Some have bought a lot of fancy cars, though. Hill CT says there's a specific provision for single scribes. Okay, I believe it. <clears throat> I mean, ideally, your negotiation team has thought of all of the questions. Obviously, human beings can't think of all of the questions, but ideally, that's what you do, is you have everybody kind of discuss these things um, and, and go over them. And I'm just looking right now at the MBA summary, but it might or might not be in that summary because that, again, is a summary of a summary of an agreement. And... Those are the kinds of things that Taylor Sheridan and his agent would be asking and that we wouldn't necessarily get full transparency on from 30,000 feet like we look at these questions. So sorry about that. But what do you all think about the writer's strike? What do you think about the SAG strike? What do you think about the state of movies and television? What thoughts do you have about the terms that they negotiated? Was it worth the second longest strike in, in history for media creation in the United States? Do you feel like Brit or some other people that they should have taken longer because the quality of movies and television has been lowered substantially. What do you think? Sibling Creature has the good thoughts here. It says, actually, it's better to buy a yacht so you can visit any island that you like. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. If you, if you need multiple island visits, yacht could be a, a good a good purchase. But I, I'm not, these are not things I've really had to consider for myself. So there you go. Clip says, I think it was worth it. I mean, I, I think that they wound up in a situation where they got settled some questions that they wouldn't have settled without it. So I think the AI piece, I think the streaming data piece is better than it was for them, but not great. So I think overall it's worth it. And I don't think their numbers are super high for what is the market for media right now in the United States. So it, it all seems okay to me, but I'm not in that business. So it's, I, I'm, I'm, Reluctant to put my judgment in place of theirs. Rin says, if it raises the quality of film and TV, it's totally worth it. I would agree with that as your if-then statement, but I don't know that we know that it will, in fact, improve the quality of film and TV. We'll see. Maybe because I've been re-watching great shows that remind me what's possible, such as Last Airbender. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think that there are a lot of great shows and there's a lot of great shows that were created even under the current kind of agreement. But I think it's, it's notable that there's a lot of stuff that have really gone far field, especially with older intellectual properties, right? You've got a lot of folks that have been disappointed with Star Wars or the Marvel shows or um, Star Trek to some extent before Picard season three, I think. And we could go into the details there. But I, I think people are justified in saying, I don't know that the quality of the writing was that good on a lot of these streaming services because the volume was so high. There was just so much more quantity. I think it's hard to keep up that quality level that you'd really want out of these media. <clears throat> Clip asks, so how much more will we pay for Netflix? Fall price increase coming? I think they increase the price all the time. 
I expect all of the prices to go up because they're out of the subscription kind of gathering phase. Um, will they pass along these costs to consumers? Yeah, you better believe it. The extent they think they can get away with it and not lose their market share, they will absolutely raise the prices. I would expect it. Emily says, I think it was necessary if only to address AI and streaming before things that are unfair just get entrenched. Yeah, I mean, they've got residuals on streaming. I, I don't know exactly how they came up with that kind of 90-day marker for whether it's popular enough to get residuals, but they they got they got some streaming, they got some data, they got some AI protections. I tend to agree that these this was an area of an evolving industry that was not going to be covered by previous contracts. And so you need to talk about those things in a current contract. The extent that you need a strike, it takes two to tango on those kinds of things. Like if one side isn't willing to talk about those, sometimes you need to use your leverage, certainly. Emily also says quality of writing is subjective. Indeed it is. There's no question that quality of writing is subjective. Although I think that there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that are just plain bad. But a lot of people disagree with me on what's bad, so you're not wrong. Burns says Picard season three is what Trekkies wanted, in my opinion. Yeah, it's certainly what I wanted. I, I loved Picard season three and I hated Picard season one and two. So there you go. Wolf says I'm possibly more used to strikes as a Finnish person. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of strikes going on right now. I'm not covering the United Auto Workers strikes, which I think are a little bit harder to justify based on what they're requesting. Uh, but I'm in Michigan, so I get I get told a lot of things about those strikes. All right, folks, I think I think everybody has said what they are thinking about these kinds of things. Um, writing can be excellent and then the execution can be terrible. Yep, yep, that can happen as well. Although I think it's, it's as likely for the execution to be great and the writing to be not there uh, right now. I see that a lot with the Disney plus Star Wars, um, uh, right? The Ahsoka show we were talking about earlier, I think has good execution, has good visuals, has good music and just not, not a lot of story at all. Dune 1987 was great. Insert random water droplet. Man, do I remember that water droplet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, David Lynch takes a little while to get used to, I think. But uh, the older 1980s Dune is interesting. I'm looking forward to Dune Part 2 coming next year. It should have come out this year, but I, I won't get into it right now. Oh, Glaw, you may have some super chats, Lol. Okay, I'll, I'll try to go capture those. I apologize. Cheryl says, I can't offer any insights into the auto worker strike due to employment, but I agree with you, Hogue. Sure. No, that's that's totally fine. I don't blame anybody for not offering insights on YouTube that otherwise relate to their real-life employment. Jen says, thank you, Hogue. Love spending time going over the headlines every week. Thank you, Jen. Yes, this is our fourth Hangouts and Headlines since the return. I'll try to keep this up at about the weekly level. Although I should mention now, since I'm since I'm saying that, we won't have an episode next week. Actually, to celebrate kind of uh, the end of therapy, um, I'm going on an un an unplanned mini vacation. So I will be out for most of next week. Christine says, I'll just be glad to not have only reality shows or game shows as my only alternatives to watch. Yeah, one of the interesting news items that I didn't pull up was that late night shows are coming back first, right? Because most of their stuff is topical and they can just write it on the day. But interestingly, because of the SAG strike, there won't be any actors promoting their, their movies or television shows on those late night shows. So it's unclear exactly how that format's going to work with only one of the strikes ended. sounds like it is planned. It's a planned, unplanned mini vacation. Yes. Well, unplanned in so far as I usually plan vacations months ahead of time and get my clients all ready and those kinds of things. And essentially this vacation was planned yesterday morning uh, on a telephone call. And I said, okay. Any ideas of lawyers and dragons coming back? 
I, I wouldn't say no, but there are no current plans. Are you doing some work at the firm again? Yes, I've been doing legal work for months now. Um, not as much as I had been trying to kind of ease back into all stations in life, really. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing legal work for a while now. Beginner says, I haven't noticed the strike other than the headlines. Yeah, I, I mean, these are lagging kind of indicators, right? Because it takes so long to make a television show or a movie or certainly a video game that when you have disruptions like this, chances are the window that you're going to feel it the most in is actually the next one, right? So you probably didn't notice it that much this summer. That's when the strike started, but you'll notice it more in the fall when things that are usually there being created just aren't. So I think it'll be good. You'll notice it then, but you'll know that they came back hopefully in October and then things will get back into normal kind of rhythm next spring. Stephanie says, late night will invite every musician and comedian they find. Yeah, I just wonder if the views are there, right? I don't think that format was doing terribly well even when things weren't disrupted. So I don't know whether it'll come back at all. That'll be, that'll be interesting in and of itself. Against Tide says, I don't watch normal TV shows. I basically watch YouTube unless I'm at work. Then I have to watch a lot of Coco Melon and Ms. Rachel. I don't know Ms. Rachel. I do know Coco Melon. And a lot of people in chat saying vacation is okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have some fun. I think we'll play some board games. It'll be a good time. Cheryl says, I, for one, would love a season three of LD. No, I, I get it. I would like to do it too. It's, it's tricky to get everybody together, and I'm not sure when it would be. So I don't want to make any promises I can't keep. Oh, anything good you've played lately? Yes, I think the new Cyberpunk update 2.0 is excellent and has made a game that I was a little bit bored by in its initial iteration much more engaging. I really like the, the Cyberpunk update. <laughs> Arto says, Hogue uh, has no impulse control. Want a vacay? Okay. Hey, Rick, I have a great investment opportunity for you. In fairness, this was presented to me by a family member. Uh, but, uh, yes, I've, we've talked about the fact that my inhibitions are reduced. So yeah, you know, is, is it a bridge somewhere I can buy? Newspin asks if I've seen the one piece live action show on Netflix. I have not, I have, keep meaning to go and watch it, but I have just done other things instead when that time frame has come up. But I do mean to see it because a lot of people have recommended it to me. Sardinum says it's like the COVID game releases. What was almost done released all at once and then things got wonky. That's very true. COVID is a good kind of analog to what we'll probably experience as a disruption in this fall and winter period of movies and television. KL says a lot of season two shows will probably be missing. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right, exactly. Kurt, thank you for the super chat. Says, by the way, if you ever want to join me for a morning legal roundup, drop me a line. I'm so happy to see you prospering so well. It is awesome. Oh, I appreciate it, Kurt. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how much I'm going to do in the future and, and what my life looks like post-therapy here. So I appreciate it. And I might well do that. Newspin says, I didn't like my own character and quickly refunded Cyberpunk. Do you think the update is enough to give it another shot? Yeah, I think it's a completely different game. Um, the story is the same. The world's the same. So I don't want to I don't want to oversell it on that. But the actual playing of the game is designed differently. They designed a different game with the Cyberpunk pieces. C. Dan runs is not a strike, but I'm about to be forced to not work. So I'm glad some entertainment is making its way back. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that, C. Dan run, but I'm glad entertainment will be coming back as well. So hopefully that makes the days a little bit brighter. Sassy Chicken says, my love for Bluey is thanks to you, Hogue. I do love Bluey. was watching Bluey this morning with my girls and before school, and that show is excellent 
all the time. I think they've seen all the episodes, but I haven't. So there's often a surprise every morning. All right, folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. Thank you for checking out the headlines with me. And I will see you on the next episode of Hangouts and Headlines or Virtual Legality or whatever else we do on the channel. There will not be a Hangouts and Headlines next week, but then we'll be back to a weekly cadence after that. So thanks, everybody, and have a fantastic weekend.